Let's, uh, let's pray this morning as we come to consider God's Word. Wasn't that a bit of fun, eh? Getting to just mix and mingle. I always get nervous when I tell you guys to go and talk to each other because it's hard to get you back again because you guys like talking to each other, which is great. Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come uh, to your word this morning, may you quicken our hearts. May you speak to us. May you um, just really uh, give us insight into who you are, how you love us, and how you want us to love others. We pray uh, this morning for your spirit to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're in Luke chapter 10 this morning. If you want to go there, uh, starting in verse 25, um, you can uh, follow along and you can read as we, as we think this morning about what these, these verses mean for us. So Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? That's what Jesus asked this lawyer. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, That's an interesting sentence there, isn't it? Wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side in the same way a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend." Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Okay, so we're finishing up this week looking at the greatest commandment. There are two facets to the greatest commandment. We looked at the first one last week. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're looking at the second one today. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus has taken two commands of the Old Testament and he's put them together in one. And the first one, the first part is always the most important, to love God with all that you are. He is before all and he demands all of us. And we talked about that last week. The second involves others. And this is always how God intends our lives to be, to be focused on him at him first, so the direction of our life is pointed at God and then outwards towards others. The problem of the world, though, and we've talked about this before, is that everyone's heart, soul, mind, and strength is actually turned in on ourselves, that we put ourselves on our throne of our lives and we direct our own lives. But God wants him 
to be in that place because it's his rightful place there in our hearts. And so once that's taken care of, once he's on his throne in the rightful place and we continually devote ourselves to knowing him more and growing to be more and more like him and loving him more, then out of that flows our love for others. We also talked about that last week, that love involves action, right? Love is more than just a feeling about someone because sometimes you can love someone or show love for someone without feeling anything particularly nice for them. Jesus tells us, he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which is a pretty easy thing to do, isn't it, right? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I can hate my enemies, no problem. But Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now that's a hard word right there, isn't it? That's from the Sermon on the Mount. So, How can we love our enemies if love is just a particular way of feeling about someone? The answer is you can't, right? It's too hard to change your feeling about someone just like that. You can't go, if someone's hurt you deeply, and I'm sure you've all experienced this because you all have lived this life, you know that feeling when someone hurts you and wounds you deeply, it's hard to change the way you feel about them. And so Jesus says, well, don't don't try to change the way you feel. First change the way you act towards them. And that, in turn, leads to a new way of feeling. Someone uh, once said to me, no, I read it in a book, so I guess they said it to me through me reading their book. Um, Someone once said, you can't feel feel your way into a new way of acting, but you can act your way into a new way of feeling. So the way that you, feelings sometimes will follow our actions. So that's what Jesus is talking about. He's telling us, that love is practical, that it's, it's, it's doing stuff, right? To use an old saying, love is a verb, right? Love is a doing word. It's action-oriented. It involves doing things for other people, and we're going to get in that, to that today. Because Jesus tells us that we have to love our neighbors in the same way that we love ourselves. But how many of us would have asked the same question that the lawyer or the expert in the law or the Pharisee asked? Who is my neighbor? How many of us would have done that when Jesus says, look, you've got to love your neighbors yourself? How many of us would have gone, well, Jesus, can you just give me a little direction here? Who's my neighbor? Because what's behind that question? We saw it in the sentence there. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify his actions, his attitudes, his behaviors. And the world back then is the same as it is today. We want to create categories and divisions for people. And we want to put certain people in those categories and certain people in other categories and treat those people in a certain way and those people in a certain way uh, based on their categories. Do I have to love this person in this way? When you say I have to love my neighbor as myself, can I say that this group of people are not my neighbor so I don't have to care about them? I don't have to like them because it would actually be really inconvenient for me to love those people so I don't want to do that. I mean, in the ancient world, there were lots of categories. There were slaves, there were the freedmen, there were the tradesmen, the craftsmen, there were the, the senatorial class, the warrior class, then there was the emperor. There was multiple layers of different categories that divided the world up. Even in, uh, in ancient Israel, there was the clean and the unclean. There were the, the ethnically Jewish people and the Samaritans, like in our story, who were considered the mixed race, the they call them dogs and things like that, you know, terrible um, names and walls of division that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. And 
the teachers of the law, who Jesus' questioner is, they would make these distinctions. They would say, well, you're a good person, you're a bad person, you're in, you're out. They would sit on the seat of judgment and, of course, always assume that they were righteous and good and they could make these distinctions about who was clean and unclean. But if we ask this question of Jesus, if we go to Jesus and say, well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to treat with respect? Who do I have to love? Just Can I just love the people I want, the people that I deem worthy? If we're doing that, then we're doing the exact same thing that, that we have been trying to do since the beginning, and we are putting ourselves in the place of God. We put ourselves in the place of determining who's good, who's bad, what's right and what's wrong. We put ourselves in that seat of judgment, saying you are worthy and you are not worthy who we can treat well, who we can ignore. And that's not our place to do that. We look to God and we receive from Him. That's been the Christian cry throughout history is that we don't get to tell God who's good and who's bad. We receive from Him. He reveals Himself to us because we know that no one, when they seek for God, no one actually seeks after God. No one will find Him by themselves. It's God who reveals Himself to us. And when he reveals himself, he tells us the things that we are to do. He tells us what love looks like. And that's how we, by doing that, show our love for him. He says in John fourteen fifteen, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. He's pretty clear that one of the ways that we show our love for him is by doing the things that he calls us to and not imposing our own set of values habits, practices, ways of life onto Jesus. And so what he does is he turns the question around. This is a great debate tactic if you ever want to. I mean, this is one of the greatest uh, ways that Jesus does this. He turns the question around on the lawyer and he gets him to consider what type of neighbor he is. You see that at the end of the story, he says, which one was a neighbor and you go and do that thing. He's not saying, look, these people are your neighbors. These people aren't. He says, you are to be the sort of person who is a neighbor to everyone. Which means that the second part of the commandment is actually all about our character. It's about the disposition of our heart. It's about the sort of people that we are. And because naturally none of us seek after God, naturally none of us uh, pursue God and can find God, then that means that our hearts have to be changed. This is why the first part of the commandment comes first. Because... It's not possible for us to love people if our hearts are not first focused on and transformed by God. The Bible tells us our natural condition apart from God, the, the condition that we're all born into in this world is that uh, we have hearts. And you remember our hearts, not just the center of our emotion, but it's the core of who we are. It's the, the command center of our very being. It's where all of our decisions are made. It's part of the central part of our identity. That, that heart is hard and it's resistant to God. It's, the, the Bible uses the term, it's a heart of stone. Ezekiel tells us about what God does for us. He says, this is God speaking, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So the heart of stone is the heart that we are born with, the heart that is hard and resistant towards God. And I'm sure you've all experienced this when God asks you to do something and you're like, I don't want to do that. 
and you feel that in your chest. You're like, no, I, I know, God, you're calling me to do this, but I'm resisting because that is that heart of stone that needs to be transformed. But God says, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So God does the work, the divine work in us, the kind of heart surgery, if you will, where he takes out one heart of stone and he puts in a new heart. We get a new command center, a new center of who we are, a heart that will hear what God is saying to us, that will comprehend what he's saying, that will want to follow what he is saying, and a heart that is able to follow because he will place his spirit within us. Then every person is our neighbor. And I think of um, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. (laughs) There was a documentary that was released about three years ago about Mr. Rogers and uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And it was called, Won't You Be My Neighbor? After the theme song, right? Please, won't you be my neighbor? I don't know if any of you ever watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It was on from the 60s through to like 2000 and something. It was on for like 50 years. It was huge. Um, But he he was a Presbyterian minister, in case you didn't know. Very, uh, very wonderful man. And he, that was his thing. Everyone was his neighbor. And he invited everyone to be his neighbor. He saw that everyone was created in God's image and have dignity, value, and worth by virtue of that. And so the invitation goes out to everyone. I am the sort of person, This is we want to be the sort of people who can say, everyone is my neighbor. That's what the Samaritan did for the man who was beaten on the side of the road. He was the only one who had eyes to see and a soft heart to respond. So once our hearts have been changed and our eyes have been opened, What does it mean to love our neighbor as ourselves? Well, Jesus told us how this might work out. He said in uh, Matthew 7, again in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. So another way of of kind of rephrasing this is treat others the way that you want them to treat you. And so, I mean, you don't deprive yourself of care. You don't not provide basic necessities. You know, you work to clothe yourself, to keep a roof over your head so that you can go to the doctor. You pray for yourself. You feed yourself. These are all the sort of needs that people have that show that we can help to show love for them. And this is how Jesus calls us to love other people, not just feel nice feelings for them. It gets practical. And it gets sacrificial. And that's not an easy word to hear. That Jesus is asking us to sacrifice something for someone else. But really what Jesus is asking us to do is exercise our empathy. To put ourselves in the position of the other, the other person. And think, if I was in that situation, how would I want to be treated? I mean, think about out of the three people who are in the story... Well, the four, there's four people, but the three people who came by down the road. I bet you, out of doubt, the first two, right? The first two, the priest and the Levite, who passed by, says on the other side of the road, probably because they thought the man was dead and they didn't want to go near a dead body to be unclean. Um, although we don't know for certain, but that's, that's one of the things that they probably, they didn't want to contaminate themselves. 
But I bet you if they were lying on the road half dead and someone came past, 100% they would be like, look, I don't give a damn about the law. Like, I just want some help here, right? They just would have wanted someone to come over and show them mercy to just, you know, bandage their wounds, clean them up just to help them. But they refused to put themselves in the position of that man over there and they just walked past. And uh, we, we can't do that, right? If we're called to love other people, that's not something we can do. We can't just walk past because the love that, that Jesus has for us to give to others is it's radical love. It's sacrificial, it's practical, and it's actually one of the greatest witnesses that we as the church have. Jesus says uh, again in John 13, he says, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. And we're going to think, we're taking communion this morning, we're going to think about how Jesus loved us, practically, sacrificially, how he loved us. And he calls us to do that for one another. And he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. A disciple is just someone who follows along and lives the same life that their teacher lived. Everyone will know that you follow me if you love one another in the same way that Jesus loved us. I mean, this is the love that the early Christians had for each other, first for each other, and then for those around them. It was one of the greatest and most effective witnesses that they had. And you can see this in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. They looked after each other. It says in Acts 4, For there was not a needy person among them, because all who owned lands or houses sold them, sacrificial, practical love, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. And people saw this. They saw in a in a society where, um, you know, those of the lower classes, the, the slaves, the servants, the bond servants were all looked down on and kind of just left off to the side, treated as less than human, to see everyone treated with the same kind of dignity and worth it really spoke to a lot of people to see people caring for one another in such radical ways to see people who owned land which would have been rare in those days to give that up for the sake of these other brothers and sisters who might have had nothing it's a witness to the people around them and so the question that comes down to us this morning from the good samaritan and from the witness of the early church is, what sort of neighbor am I? That's the question that we're going to just reflect on for the next five minutes or so. Do I have a heart that is soft, that has been transformed by Jesus? Do I have eyes to see the need of others around me? Do I practice empathy? Do I put myself into the shoes, the position, the situation of someone else and then act towards them as if I was in that situation. Are we this sort of people? Are we aware of the needs of others in our midst? And are we willing to give of ourselves to meet those needs? Because this is what the Good Samaritan did. He invested himself. He gave time out of his schedule. He gave his life. He put himself out there. He stopped on a road where there's lots of robbers, and he you know, could have been beaten up as well. 
He didn't know how long the man had been lying there, but he stopped and he, he invested himself into the task. He, he bandaged the man's wounds. He cleaned them with oil and wine. He put him on the back of his own donkey, you know, picked him up and put him in his car, <laughs> took him to the inn and paid for everything and started a running tab so that the man could fully recover. It's a challenge, this story. Someone has called it, uh, one of the commentators I read called it like the perfect example of the Christian life because it's so challenging. How much mercy do we show to the people around us? I remember one story uh, really vividly from when uh, my, brothers and, my brother and sister and I were young and um, mum would take us in the school holidays on like road trips I think just to give herself a break um, when she was driving, we'd fall asleep. But we had this old, uh, this old Ford Laser, looked like that, except it was a, a sedan. That that car was my grandparents' car, and it was the car that I learned to drive, and it was my first car. But we had mum had one like this, 1983 Ford Laser sedan, silver, four door driving down the road and we were going somewhere and she took us to lots of different places and I can't remember where it might have been Rotorua or it might have been Ruapehu but I'm not sure but we were young I would have been maybe 10 or 11 not much older than that and we're driving down in our old Ford Laser and we got a flat tire so we had to stop on the side of the road I remember it so vividly uh, like by one of those um, Department of Conservation forests a little bit like Woodhill Forest but down the middle of the South uh, North Island and we had to stop and we pull over and mum's having trouble changing the tyre, right? She's nervous to begin with. She's a little bit anxious to begin with. She stopped on the side of the road. It's like a state highway. Cars hooning past and she's like, stay in the car, stay in the car. So we're like, okay, mum. So she manages to get the spare tyre because she's packed, you know, for the week. So she has to pull all the stuff out, get the spare tyre out, you know, get the jack out, put the car in. And she's trying to get, she's trying to get the tyre off, but she's struggling. Right with the with the bolts because the the nuts are not moving or whatever, and she's just struggling. There, all these cars just driving past. There's this poor lady on the side of the road with these bags packed, you know, stacked high. And then all of a sudden, this van just poof, screeches to a halt about ten meters in front, and this guy gets out. And I swear, like, if you picture in your head like the most cliche gang member that you can think of. That's what this guy looked like. Maybe it's just my memory of the time, but he was this big guy, like long hair. Maybe it was a mullet. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they were still cool then, but big leather jacket, black black clothes, you know, and he just kind of comes up and uh, kind of stomps up. He must have been huge. Anyway, and he just, he comes up and he's just so respectful. He's like, miss, can I help you with this? And she's like, you know, of course, she's like, yeah, please. And he just takes him like two minutes, just vroom, vroom, change the tire, get it done. Then he just he just hulks out, you know, he's just like, yeah, just gets it done, gets in his van, drives off. And it just stuck with me like that. Of all the people that drove past, probably in the 10, 15 minutes that mum was struggling with this, he just acted like a neighbor to us. And that's actually probably my earliest memory of something like that ever happening to me or to someone in my family. And it's the sort of thing that sticks with you all the way down through, I don't know, almost 30 years later. And he's, I still remember this man. I don't know who he is. Never got his name. He just came in. Maybe it was an angel. I don't know. He just came in, hulked out, did the thing, drove off, and that was it. We never saw him again. But I guess the simple question for all of us is, are we going to follow the example of the Good Samaritan? Are we going to follow the example of Jesus? What kind of neighbor 
are we? Let's pray.